So listen to Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of some are in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that Your Spirit will guide us. Not just me, Lord, as I am bringing the Word of God to bear upon our lives, but Lord, that You will guide us into all righteousness, all, a greater degree of holiness, a greater degree of encouragement, greater degrees of being conformed to the, the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, that we will be so compelled by the Gospel, so compelled by the Spirit working in us, that we will go from this place, Lord, bringing this good news, proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified to the lost and broken world. So, Spirit of God, would You work in us this morning in a powerful way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tuesday, as I started working on this section about what does it mean for us together as individuals and as a, as a whole body to draw nearer to God, I immediately started asking myself this question. And I posted it on Facebook as well. When you get up in the morning and you face the day, some of you, you know, you wake up and you kind of have these crusties in your eyes and we kind of move a little bit slower and some of us really don't want to get out of bed at all. We really like the warmth and the comfortableness of our bed. Some of you are like, you're up first thing in the morning and you, you don't need, even need caffeine. You are going and everybody else around you wants to turn you off. But when you get up in the morning, what do you say to yourself for your hopes for the day? What do you say to yourself? When you look from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, what do you want to happen because you have lived? What difference do you want your life to really make? What impact is there going to be in the world because you left your footprint there? You have entered into this space, in this cubicle, with these people. What do you want to have happened here with these people? Your family, as you live out your life from beginning to the end of the day, what do you want to say has happened, is going to happen, because you have left an impact there? 
Well, if you say, you know, Paul, I just, I, I don't think like that. I don't think like that. I just get up and I, I do what I got to do. I just crank it out. How many of you sometimes feel like that? Most times it's like, man, I, I don't even think about the impact that I'm going to make in this world. I just get up. I just go. The reality is, if that is our mentality, if there's not a, an intentionality, if there's not an aim, then you are cutting yourself off from the basic means of grace and the source of guidance and strength and fruitfulness for your day. It's, it's crystal clear in the Bible, including this text, that God means for us to aim consciously at something in significant ways in our days god god's revealed will for you is that when you get up in the morning you don't drift aimlessly throughout the day letting just mere circumstances alone dictate what you do but that you aim at something that you you have a target in mind that you focus with a certain kind of purpose and i'm talking here for women for children for men for teenagers for adults for the widowed for the moms for every person in every trade that God says you must have a certain kind of aim. It's not just a certain kind of aim for pastors because I do this vocationally for the, my whole day, my whole life, for every week. It's for every one of us. We have a certain kind of aim. Hear this. Aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. Aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. Dead leaves in the backyard. Some of you have already kind of seen this already. You know, leaves are falling. I hate them. It means that fall's coming, that winter's coming soon. Sorry. Uh, but dead leaves in the backyard may move around more than anything else. More than the dog, more than the children. The wind blows this way and then it, they blow that way. The wind blows this way, now they move that way. They tumble, they bounce, they skip, they, they get pressed up against the fence. They have no aim whatsoever. They're just driven about by the wind. They are full of motion, but they are empty of life, right? God did not create human beings in His image to be aimless, to be like lifeless leaves just blown about in the backyard of life. He created us to be purposeful, to focus, to have a focus for the aim of all of our days. And this is not to be oppressive. This is not to be a form of slavery. It's not to be life-sucking, to always be thinking about the aim for my day. To find what we were to be made for and to do what God's will is for us is to be freeing. It is to be energizing. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 4. My food, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. My food. Food. Aiming day by day to do what you were meant to do is like eating. It, is, it, is, it gives you life. It gives you energy rather than taking it away. 
Because here's the reality. You will eventually die if you do what you were meant to do. You will. You will eventually die. You may be young or you may be old. And that ultimately is God's choice, not yours. But when you die doing what you were meant to be doing, you will die well. And you will die full. Even at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul who looks back over several decades of being a Christian. And in, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Do you hear the purposefulness? The aim? He can look back over decades and say, I have fought the good fight. I, I have finished the race. I have come to the end and I am ready to die full. And I'm ready to die well. I'm ready to embrace my Savior and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to my kingdom. Enjoy all the benefits. One of the ways that the Apostle Paul had fought this mentality of fighting well and keeping on and keeping on day after day after being shipwrecked, after being stoned, after beaten to an inch of his life, after being whipped, thrown out of the cities, bitten by snakes. How did he keep on doing it? One of the ways that he fought keeping the faith, going to the end, was to surround himself with believers who would pray for him and encourage him, exhort him. With strong words. Did you know that Paul almost always traveled with a team? He was never a loner. There was Barnabas and Silas, Timothy and Luke, Articacus and Mark, Epaphras, and many, many others. The one time that he was forced to go off by himself to Athens, his spirit was almost broken by the overwhelming evil that was there. And what did he do? He called for Timothy. He desired to be encouraged and do this with another. Paul needed the partnership of close friends who would strengthen his faith when fear was beginning to get the upper hand in his life. We need that same partnership to help us draw near and to stay near to God. So the question is, how do we do this? How do you as individuals and we as a body find ourselves drawing near to God on a daily basis? Every day we can say, I am, I am aiming at being near to the heart of God, growing in my walk, desiring to be more Christ-like. How do we do this? The first thing is, embrace your hope. Embrace your hope. How, how do we, Todd used this earlier, Psalm 42. How do we echo the psalmist who says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, God. Does, how, how do we have that kind of mentality that our soul just pants? In, in the Hebrew here, it's not just like a deer coming up and lapping at these cool streams. It's almost as a deer is coming if you've ever heard a deer running, 
they kind of have a, it's, it's not this pretty Bambi picture. But this is a deer kind of panting for water, longing for a cool drink. So, so the psalmist say, so pants my soul desiring to drink from the streams of God. How do we have that? Well, would you consider with me these last three verses from this section that we read, how they would teach us about the aim and the focus of our Christian lives. And I pray that God will just give us this crystal clear focus to our lives. I pray that He may use them to kind of blow away the confusion and the fog that you may have and give you clarity for how you are to live. First, look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Now that is not something that you do with your, your hands or your feet. It's not, you, you don't go to the soup kitchen to do this kind of thing. You don't go to the man cave in your basement to do this kind of thing. You don't go across the street or you don't go to school. You don't go to the office to do this kind of thing to hold fast to the confession of hope that you have without wavering. This is not done where everyone can see it being done, to see it worked out. This is an affair of your heart. To embrace hope is an affair of the heart. Hold fast to hope. Be a hope-filled person. Hope in God. And why can we hope in God? Why can you hope in God this morning? No matter what the circumstances are in your life, how and why should you hope in God? Because God has made promises to you. And He is faithful. Listen to all these promises just found in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, nowhere else. He has promised to write the law on your heart. He has promised to work in you what is pleasing in His sight. He has promised to remember your sins no more. He has promised that we will be perfected for all time by the perfect sacrifice of His Son. He has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. And He has promised to bring good from all of our pain. And so God is a God who keeps His Word. But hear this. God did not create you to curl up underneath your covers and hope in God all day long in bed. Okay, because that's kind of when things from this world are getting ugly and difficult and painful, no matter what's going on in your life, sometimes we just want to curl up in a ball and just pull it up and say, God, I hope in you. God, I hope in you. And you just pull it up and just say, it's the safest place right here. Oh, I believe you're good. I believe you're faithful. I believe in all these promises, but it's safest to be under these covers right now without some effect on your life. Hope in God would be invisible and bring no public glory to God's power and wisdom and goodness and trustworthiness. If the act of hoping 
in God were all that you were created to aim at, then verse 24 would be wasted words. You were not created just to hope in God. That, that's not just the aim of your day. Hey, just, just hope in God. Look at, throw up the next, let's see, there's a slide I believe before that. God created you to hope in Him. And then to make that hope visible by the effect that it has on your life. So God has created you to hope in Him. But that's not it. Then to make that hope visible for the world to see, for the world to experience by the effect that it has on your life. So hope, you hope in God and that hope has an impact on you that reflects out to the world, to this family here. And that effect is given in verse 24. And it is to be the aim of your daily life. And we will see why this is so and how we use it when you get up in the morning. Let's read it. Verse 24. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's just stop there. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Here's the focus of your life. Here's what you are to aim at from morning to night as a Christian. And I, I want you to notice carefully. It is not what you may expect. It is not. Consider how to love each other and do good deeds. Although that is biblical and very good. But it's different. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? This is strong language used here. The, the verb stir literally means to provoke. How many of you have children, and, or you have been a child, and you know what the provoking looks like? I've got a couple. And I watch them on a daily basis. Sometimes it's just by sliding a hand across the seat and sometimes it's the ever-slow inching, and the one child might know that it's bothering the other child, but oh, that child is provoking the other one to wrath. Yeah! That's my side! You know, that's, this is what the, the author is using. Don't just stir them up. Provoke them. There's, there's a way that this is working out. We are exhorted we are encouraged to cause a stir but a stir that leads to love and christian activity god god in his holy word is saying to you today you need to be considering how to provoke one another in a positive way to love and to christian activity good works that's, that's our work. Such stirring cannot be done from a distance either. I, I know that from my own kids. 
If you want to be, if you want to provoke somebody, the best way is up close and personal, right? It can still be done via, you know, the internet, phone calls, text messages, Facebook. We get provoked. A lot of times we get ticked off by what we see or what we hear. But the reality is the best way to do this kind of stirring is often up close and personal. Focus on helping others become loving people. Aim at stirring up others to good deeds. And of course, the implication here is that if others need help stirring and being provoked, to love and to good deeds? We do too, right? We do too. And we should be aiming at what sorts of ways we can think and feel and talk and act that will stir them up to love and and to do good deeds. The aim of our lives, the aim of our lives is not just just loving people. And it's not just doing good deeds, although good things to do, biblical things, but helping to stir up others to love and good deeds. So it moves on even more. It it, kind of gets into a little bit more precise. There's, There's something in this text that is very hard to kind of bring into the English. The word consider... Let us consider how, consider how to do this, is used one other time in this book, namely in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, where the writer says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus. That is, look at Him. Think about Him. Focus on Him. Study Him. Let your mind be occupied and consumed with Him. Jesus is the direct object of the verb consider. In other words, consider Jesus. Consider what? Consider Jesus. Think about, meditate on on what? Don't just consider. Consider this object, this person. Consider Jesus. Well, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the grammar is exactly the same. The direct object of the word consider is one another. Literally, it says consider one another. Consider what? One another. We are to think about one another. But this is almost impossible to bring into the English like the rest of the sentence because it's kind of the Greek wording is kind of awkward. But it would go something like this. Consider one another towards stimulating of love and good works. It's bad English. Good Greek, but bad English. So the translators, consider how, consider one another, how to stimulate the other persons onto love and and good works. But I want you to get the nuance of of the original so you can feel the force of it as your daily aim for your life. Literally, this is God's call to consider one another. Look around just for a little bit. Look look around. It's going to be awkward. You're going to go, all right, one second, done. Look at each other. Look at Jenny. She's not even looking at me. You know, you're writing, I know. You know, we are to consider 
one another. Think deeply about one and I am to my thoughts, my feelings, my moments are to be considering Randy. Randy Callenhoven right here. How do I stir Randy on to love and good deeds? I'm to be thinking about Kelly Jager. How do I consider, think, meditate, pray for, uh, provoke her on to love and good deeds? I'm going to do the same with Sam back there. How do I consider Sam in such a way that it is going to provoke her to love more and to greater deeds of service? How am I going to do that for the kids, for my daughter, for... for uh, all the kids here, how am I going to consider you? That is what we are to do. We are to look at one another. We're going to think about one another. We are to focus on one another. We're to study one another. And we are to let our mind be occupied with one another. And the goal of this focus on one another is to think of ways to stimulate, provoke, Stir one another up for love and good deeds. So kids, students, and this applies to the rest of you, so don't check out your mind. Many of you have experienced the amazing love of Christ in your life. You've been transformed. He, he's taken a hold of your heart. You've professed your faith. You believe in your heart. You profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it, it all is just an amazing thing. And you want to do His will. You want to do what God wants you to do. But like most everybody else in this room, you get up many days and you feel aimless. And you, you kind of go, what's the point? Why school? Why do I have to do this homework? And you kind of slump through the day, doing the homework, getting through, you know, man, if I could just get through this, I could play some games, I could watch TV, I could read my book, I could go play with my friends, I could go do this. And you're just getting through another day of school. But that doesn't feel like there's much of a point to it all, does it? I want you to really, as, as students, I want you to really consider Hebrews 10.24. Consider. Think about. Ponder. Deliberate. Meditate. Think really deep thoughts. Give some brain space towards other people with the goal of what can I do today that I can stir up them to love others more. What can I do to help my sister Lillian love other people more? What can I do to help Lillian do greater works? How do we do that? Because there's a reason to live and focus for every day. By doing this, life will never be boring. Never be boring. Why? Because every day is different. Everything changes. People change. Their circumstances change. You change. But the call remains the same. Consider, consider, consider. Consider the people around you. What are they like? What are they going through? What am I like? 
How and what can I contribute to these people with the gifts and the talents that God has given me? What will their situation be like? What is my situation like? What helps a person become loving? And what is the origin of genuine loving deeds? And this is a reason for living that is focused. Focused enough to be practical and big enough to last an entire lifetime. I don't know what God's calling me to do. <laughs> Consider one another. You'll never get bored. You'll never run out of things to do. So let's, let's look at the text to find the answer of how do we go about doing this? Verse 24 gives the focus and the aim. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. But then verse 25 gives us the instructions of how. How do we make it happen? It says, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So two things. First, don't neglect getting together. Second, Encourage one another. When I grew up, and I'm sure this is probably true for many of you, it's a pastor's uh, gift of guilt probably, but I grew up hearing this text re referred to most often as an argument to the regular attendance of Sunday morning worship, right? Don't, don't neglect showing up on Sunday morning. If you do, there's hell, hail, hell, hail, brimstone coming down. All kinds of it. If you don't show up, don't neglect because I'm keeping a tally. I know. Don't forsake. Come to church regularly. And that is not necessarily a wrong application of this text since one of the most important kinds of encouragement and exhortations that we get, from the pre we get is from the preaching of God's Word in the power of God's Spirit gathered together with brothers and sisters in Christ. But in this context, the kind of of coming together in view seems to be where members are encouraging one another. Face to face. Regularly. Verse 25 is explicit. Come together and encourage one another. The one another implies that there is something mutual going on here. One is encouraging in another and the other is reciprocating the encouraging and then continues to pay it forward. Each is doing or saying something that encourages. If you ask what corresponds most closely to this for our church, I would say the closest thing is either our men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, or missional communities. The one another is the face-to-face -face time. Which I, I regard those kind of gatherings as critical to your growth. Hear me say, I am a great believer in preaching. There's something about the Word of God that needs to be heralded and proclaimed and exalted and, and you would just enjoy it as well as to be discussed and to be taught. And I, and I have no illusions that, that preaching is enough for the life of believer. But the New Testament and especially the book of Hebrews calls us again and again and again to a kind of mutual ministry that involves all believers 
in encouraging one another. So if I ask you to take stock of your life right now, where are you in verse 24, verse 25? There's two groups. Those who gather to encourage one another. That's one group. And those who have formed the habit of not gathering together for the purpose of encouraging. How are you doing? Non-participation in some shape or form in a small group can be habit-forming. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Our getting together, whether in big or small groups, is absolutely critical. It, it is critical, a critical piece of what it means to be together as a family of Christ. Our togetherness is the means by which we are able to stir up one another to love and good works. So, this leaves another question for me. What kind of encouragement stimulates, provokes, stirs up others to good deeds? It's not obvious to some that this question has, has anything to do with God. Lots of people just think, man, that just love and good deeds are, are good things to, to seek after. And many would say that just encouraging other people is, is the way to do it. Man, that, that's, how, that's how we do it. But the key to encouraging love biblically is given in verse 23. Back to the beginning. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. How do we encourage one another? The key to love in the New Testament, the kind of love that magnifies God and not man, is rooted in the faithfulness of God. Embrace your hope. Cherish your hope. Because God is faithful. When it all hits the fan, how do we encourage one another? We say to one another, Embrace your hope. Remember, He is faithful. God is faithful. Even when it looks like this world is decimated and ugly and dirty and painful and taking numbers, God is faithful. Without this kind of hope sustaining you day by day through all the disheartening frustrations, without... Dealing with, day to day, you're dealing with these relationships that are absolute mess. Right? Friendships, marriages, co-workers, the news. You watch the news long enough, you, you could go into massive depression. But without this kind of hope sustaining you, you would not have any strength or energy to stir up love and good works. But if you bank on God, if you bank on God and not yourself, you will always have something encouraging and hope-giving to say. Namely, God can be trusted, brother. God can be trusted, sister. 
I have no strength. But God can be trusted. So let's, let's get down to nitty gritty. How do we do this? Because if, if you keep on going, there, end of 25 it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's kind of giving this picture as, as Jesus, that day that Jesus comes, we need to be doing it all the more. What is this alluding to? It is going to become more and more and more difficult as the days are coming. So we need to be practicing this more and more. How do we stir one another up to greater acts of love and greater acts of service? How do we do that? Because if, if we're not, you are going to be missing out on a God-given grace. And perhaps somewhere along the way, you, you, you've even picked up the idea that Christianity was something you could do solo. Perhaps you just don't want people poking around in your business. But whatever the case, it has got to go. It is not scriptural, nor is it wise. So how do we do this? Well, first, I, you need to hear, you are not meant to draw near to God alone. You're not meant to draw near to God alone. We all do this together. We, we, we all cling to the Gospel together. We all confess together. We all stir up one another to works together. And this is a wonderful grace that God wants to permeate our lives together. It must be more than just a really good and really open conversation you had back in the 90's. It's got, it's got to be a lifestyle that we have. A way that we live together. The other thing that we have, how do we do this? There needs to be a desperation for God. As the deer pants for water, so pants my soul for the living God. Is there a desperation, a deep desire to cling to God? There should be. There should be such a, a longing to get into His Word and allow that to feed and permeate your soul, your mind, your heart. It should, you should so long to gather together on a Sunday morning. You cannot wait. You should have the kids up at 6.30 in the morning, get them dressed, get them showered, get them cleaned up, maybe even in their Sunday best. Uh, However that, that might look, you know, packer or bears, you should desire to get everybody out the door. We are going to the house of God. I desire to hear from Him. I desire to be fed from His Word. I desire to be provoked and stirred on by brothers and sisters in Christ. I desire that. I hunger for that. I thirst for that. If that is lacking... If there is not a deep hunger and thirst to gather together in your missional communities, your men or women's Bible studies, or the, the bigger gathering, there needs to be a, 
check of what are you embracing? Are you embracing the hope that never wavers? Are you clinging to that one? So here, let me just summarize. Do not be aimless in your life. Make the aim of your life to consider others. Study them. Know them. Figure them out. Don't be creepy. Get to know them as a true brother or sister in Christ would. To the end that you would stimulate them to love and to good deeds. To be sure that you do this by getting together often with other believers in large and small group settings for the specific purpose of encouraging one another. Our, our missional community had a beautiful time last, last Sunday. I won't go into details, but if you want to know about encouraging one another, it was a blessing. We encouraged one another through prayer. That's the purpose. And lastly, let the, the heart of that encouragement be reminders of how great our hope is in Christ and that God ultimately can be trusted. So how do we draw near? God has given us many gifts. Many gifts. He's given us His Word. He's given us the awesome, like my brothers, uh, my preacher brothers, we, every Sunday morning, we shoot each other prayers to encourage their heart. Why, why am I doing that? I don't think I knew ultimately in the beginning. But ultimately, it is to stir them on to love and greater acts of Christian service. So we got 20 minutes. We, we never have this much time. So I'm going to give us five. And for some of you, this is going to be kind of the most squishy five minutes of your life because you're not going you, to, you've never practiced this kind of thing before. Some of you are always going, also going in these five minutes of squishiness. You, as one person, can use all five minutes to yourself because you have the spiritual gift of using all the words in the dictionary in one explanation. What we're going to do for five minutes is I want you to consider one another by provoking one another verbally, out loud, to greater acts of love and to greater acts of service. You could do it to out loud to the whole group as a, um, a corporate encouragement. Or specifically, you can say, Katie, I just, I just want to encourage you. I know your gifts and your passion for the beckoning, your heart for, the, for missionaries because you yourself have been a missionary. I want to cons consider you, Katie, in such a way that push forward 
do not give up that ministry that sometimes you say, I'm done with this. Because nobody's coming to my aid. God can be trusted. Go. Go.